Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. As a frontline healthcare worker, did you get the COVID-19 vaccine? Were you a person who felt like they couldn't get it in their arm fast enough? Or were you hesitant? Skeptical even? You may have seen news reports about healthcare workers refusing the vaccine, and today we're discussing a research letter in April's issue of Academic Emergency Medicine entitled Vaccination Rates and Acceptance of SARS-CoV-2 Vaccination Among U.S. Emergency Department Healthcare Personnel. First author Dr. Walter Schrading is here to discuss it with us today. Dr. Schrading is a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He is the director of wilderness medicine and has been practicing and teaching emergency medicine residents and students for over 30 years. During the COVID-19 pandemic, his research interests have focused on the evaluation of the accuracy of portable pulse oximetry devices and issues of safety among ED frontline healthcare providers. At the University of Alabama at Birmingham, he is the site PI for two CDC-supported multi-center public health surveillance projects called Project Prevent and Project Covered. Today's article comes out of Project Covered, and we will get more into that shortly. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access for a limited time on our blog at brownemblog.com. Welcome, Dr. Schrading, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your team's work. Uh, thank you, Dr. Pence. It's, a, um, it's an honor to be here and to uh, speak with your listeners. So your team's research letter in the April AEM issue comes out of a larger project, which is titled COVID-19 Evaluation of Risk in Emergency Departments, or COVERED. Everyone needs a good acronym these days, so COVERED uh, is the name of that project. So can you talk about that project a little bit and what the main goals of it are? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, and I'd like to first, um, before we uh, even begin further, just to thank my co-authors on this project. I speak for them. Of course. Uh, and they are many of the project uh, primary investigators at the various sites for Project Covered, as well as thanking Dr. Talon and Dr. Moore, the primary investigators on the main project, along with so many more people who work on this, uh, this project over the last, uh, say, almost coming up on 12 months now, um, including the uh, emergency departments that participated, all of our covered participants who made all this possible. Um, and the other thing I'd like to just uh, remind everyone is that I think we should always remember the some uh, 1,200 to 1,300 healthcare providers who have lost their lives uh, during this uh, COVID pandemic, um, fighting along with uh, myself, yourself, and all of our listeners uh, against this pandemic. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, Project Covered uh, was started as a uh, project to look at the uh, incremental risk of various emergency department personnel for becoming infected with COVID-19. So among the IDNet hospitals, as well as additional hospitals and institutions like myself at University of Alabama, 
there were 20 institutions that uh, recruited approximately 80 healthcare personnel per institution. And those individuals were divided equally among various job categories. So we had a intubating physician group, about a quarter of the population. We had a non-intubating physician and APP or advanced practice provider group. We had a nurse group. And then we had the group of individuals who work in the emergency department, but don't necessarily see patients. So these would be ED pharmacists and clerks and uh, um, various people who do registration, um, emergency care technicians. So people working in the emergency department, but not seeing patients. And the idea would be that these individuals maybe had different incremental risks of getting COVID uh, uh, during the pandemic. So the project started back in May of 2020, um, and each of these sites had about 80 individuals enrolled, and these individuals um, they filled out uh, weekly surveys on their work in the emergency department. The physicians who intubated filled out detailed reports on every intubation and high-risk procedure that involved aerosolizing um, of possible COVID or uh, SARS-CoV-2 particles. Um, and then the individuals also got tested for COVID. So we did PCR and serology testing and initially on a two-week basis and then on an every one-month basis. So the participants in this study uh, for about a 20-week time period had COVID testing, routine COVID testing throughout the project. On to your article, which is entitled vaccination rates and acceptance of SARS-CoV-2 vaccination among U.S. emergency department healthcare personnel. So what motivated you primarily uh, in the first place to look at vaccine acceptance versus hesitancy in this group? Were, were there like news? I know there were news reports about healthcare providers uh, declining the vaccine, things like that. Is that, is that what triggered it or was there something else? Yes. And um, I thought we had an amazing opportunity because uh, the, at the end of the project, there was a, not pl a pre-planned nine-month survey, which was scheduled to come out for all of the participants, the 1,600 or so participants across, uh, across the country, mm -hmm. was scheduled to come out on January 4th. And as we approached the approval of both Pfizer and Moderna, uh, vaccine. We didn't know this, obviously, at the beginning of the COVID of the covered project. But as we moved along, it became apparent that emergency department healthcare personnel were going to be at the beginning of the 1A group of participants who could get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So I thought we had a great opportunity because this survey was going to be going out to add some questions about vaccination to this group like how many were you offered vaccine? And if you were offered vaccine, how many people would accept the vaccine? And would that vaccine acceptance be different between our covered uh, cohort participants? And then we also, we had information on uh, racial and ethnic background, and we wondered whether or not we might see some of the same uh, uh, data that suggested that there was maybe more vaccine hesitancy in certain uh, groups of color. So 
Getting back to that cohort, you described the objective of this report as describing differences in vaccination rates among various types of ED healthcare personnel at U.S. academic medical centers um, and whatever reasons they might have for declining vaccination. So what were the categories of personnel that you were looking at? So they were the same categories that we had uh, pre-cohorted in the project covered uh, project. So there was the physician and APP group that uh, was about half the cohort. These included faculty, residents, PAs, nurse practitioners. Uh, then we had our nursing staff cohort. And then the last cohort was, or the other cohort was the uh, non-clinical providers, the ED pharmacists and clerks and registration people and um, environmental services folks, the folks who worked in the emergency department, but were not seeing patients. So those were our f- basically three cohorts because we we can we we assume that the we the physician and APP cohort uh, the intubating and the non-intubating we didn't make a difference between those in the vaccination questions. So you surveyed fifteen hundred forty-two participants, and of those, one thousand three hundred ninety-eight completed the survey. It looks like ninety-four percent of participants had been offered the vaccine at the point of survey. So, what can you tell us about how many had been vaccinated among the various personnel groups? Yeah, um, so uh, we weren't really sure how you know how much vaccine penetration would occur. You know, this was only three weeks or so, two to three weeks after the rollout of uh, the initial uh, Pfizer and then Moderna vaccination, um, and we found that um, overall, ninety almost ninety-five percent of our participants had been offered vaccine that early on into the vaccination process. And of those, overall, um, 86% of those had uh, had received the vaccination. We did find a difference between the cohorts, with the physician and APP cohort having a much higher vaccination rate uh, of acceptance at 90, almost 95%, whereas we saw more vaccine hesitancy in the nurse and non-clinical group. So the vaccination acceptance fell to uh, the high mid-70s, 77% and 76% respectively in those two groups, meaning that there was a vaccine hesitancy of about a quarter of the individuals at that point in January having not received vaccine or refused to be vaccinated. What did you find out about uh, their reasoning among healthcare personnel who refused the vaccine? Yes, we asked those individuals who did not take the vaccine what their reasons were. And the primary reason, over uh, almost half of the participants suggested that they had concerns about the safety of the vaccine. In lesser degrees, the uh, other concerns listed was that they might have an underlying health condition. They felt they were already immunized because they had already had COVID, um, about 10% were concerned because of pregnancy or fertility issues. There were some religious and ethical personal reasons given. And then maybe lower down uh, were were concerns actually about vaccine efficacy. And you had done some further analysis. Um, You mentioned before you were asking about race, ethnicity, um, gender. Which groups among these had the lowest vaccination acceptance rates? And did they have similar reasoning? 
we didn't break down the reasoning uh, or look at the reasoning differences between the groups, um, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the racial and ethnic breakdown. But the group with the highest vaccine hesitancy or the lowest vaccine acceptance was in our non-Hispanic black population, where overall uh, only 65% of that group uh, accepted or received vaccination. And in the breakdown among that group, the lowest overall acceptance of vaccine was in the non-clinical black population at 52%. Okay. So our numbers reflected numbers that have been reported in the media. In fact, a recent Washington Post uh, survey came out among healthcare providers actually showing much lower vaccine acceptance than what we showed. Um, but the same, um, the same themes among higher vaccine hesitancy uh, among uh, persons of color is noted among various vaccine acceptance trials. Now, the vaccinated group, they seem to have high confidence in the vaccine, reporting feeling safer overall after having received the vaccine, correct? Yes. One of the interests I had was, you know, what would be, since there had been some previous work in Project Covered on a different paper that came out looking at anxiety among healthcare, ED healthcare personnel uh, regarding fears and concerns about COVID-19, I felt it was important to ask these folks who had gotten vaccinated, how do you feel? Do you feel safer? And yes, a vast majority uh, felt much safer around their household members. And they also reported that household members felt safer around them uh, with uh, 86 and 87% uh, in those groups um, reporting that feeling of uh, increased safety after receiving vaccination. I would have to say I concur with that. I, I felt um, much safer. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, you and I and uh, all of our listeners, I, I think, would, would feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fact, I can remember, you know, getting my vaccination and it was, you know, it was a little emotional, you know, a little absolutely little cheering, you know, like, oh, my God, thank God, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was just the, you know, and being that early on in the process, um, you know, I got mine in early January, just around, you know, around the time that you were serving people. And I, I just, I I remember it just, it felt like such a weight had been lifted. I had, I had confidence in the, the data and I just felt so fortunate. And so, yeah, I can, I can absolutely identify with that. Well, the vast majority of our colleagues, according to this research letter, agree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so, so did the vaccinated group report changing their use of PPE or their behavior in any way that might go along with having a higher confidence in the vaccine? Like, what what did your findings reveal about that? So, yeah, yes, that's another, uh, you know, interesting question that I I thought we ought to ask that, you know, now that you've been vaccinated, do you think you'll still use the same amount of PPE? Or now that you feel vaccinated, do you feel safe? And now you're going to abandon certain amounts of PPE. Um, Interestingly, and um, I think thankfully, and probably good news for are, you know, the messaging about continuing to use masks and maintain social distancing despite vaccination. Um, The vast majority uh, in this cohort also agreed that they would 
and uh, we're going to continue using the same amount of PPE both at work and in public with uh, the numbers being in the 90% range of the individuals who suggested that they would continue to use and in anticipated continuing to use the same amount of PPE both at work and in public despite vaccination. So I think that uh, sends an important message that among this, um, you know, highly at-risk ED healthcare personnel group, um, these folks still feel that it's important to uh, continue using PPE, wearing masks, and um, using social distancing in order to combat this uh, this pandemic. And that it might suggest that vaccination is really just one part of our armor that we have to uh, maintain our own health while continuing to care for um, our patients. Absolutely. What do you think the big takeaways from this segment of the study are? What should we walk away from this with? I hope that this would be useful for um, employee health personnel, um, folks who are trying to reach out to our uh, ED colleagues to receive vaccination, as well as on a larger scale to show some of the same disparities in vaccination acceptance that we're seeing among other populations that have been looked at among the general public, that we need to continue our efforts to highlight the safety of the vaccination because that was listed as the number one reason for possibly not receiving vaccination among this pretty high risk ED healthcare population group Mm -hmm. um, and that we also needed to continue efforts to reach out to uh, populations who we know, based on data, have a higher degree of vaccine hesitancy. Fantastic. So is there anything else coming out of the covered project? What comes next? Uh, well, two um, papers have been published already. The first was what we call the baseline paper. Uh, Nick Moore was the primary investigator, or the lead investigator on that. And that basically just described where we were back in May and June, the uh, amount of uh, penetration of COVID-19 into this ED healthcare population group. And we found that about 2.8% when we did our initial facility survey of the, this ED uh, healthcare population in academic medical centers had already had COVID. Um, and then when we did the initial serology testing, um, and PCR testing, we found an additional 1.8% of personnel who didn't know they had COVID but tested positive. So overall, the uh, rates of COVID in May through July or so of 2020 were in the 4.6 range among this academic ED healthcare personnel group. Um, and then Rob Rod uh, Rodriguez, um, one of my colleagues as well, um, recently published a paper talking about the um, anxiety and burnout uh, symptoms related to this ED cohort of personnel who, um, you know, that we all faced during the pandemic. And I think without, would not be a surprise to you or me or any of our colleagues to recognize that, um, you know, our colleagues have a lot of self-reported feelings of work-related anxiety. In fact, um, over half the personnel had one or more mental symptoms of PTSD, that is having, you know, night nightmares and that sort of thing. Um, we did find that the process of testing 
That is the fact that we were able to offer the participants in this study um, PCR and serology testing during the um, during the 20 weeks of the study um, mitigated some of those anxieties. In other words, people felt uh, our our colleagues felt better knowing that they were testing negative, or in fact, those who tested positive actually felt relieved that they knew that they had already had it. So. Um, the next step will be the main paper, which will be the results um, that look at the, um, the, the, the cohorts and, and look at the risk of getting COVID between the cohorts that, that I already described. And the, the study or that, that portion of the project is in um, data analysis right now. So we're all looking forward to, to that coming out. And then I, you know, part of my interest in this was, you know, also looking at this, this idea of, of um, relief of anxiety. And I was able to also put in, um, along with some co-authors, some other questions looking at this smaller cohort of individuals who might have seroconverted during the 20-week time period and wondering whether those people who seroconverted changed their practice. For instance, did they change the amount of PPE that they used after they knew that they were seroconverted? This is, of course, before vaccination. Um, so I, I have sort of a, another sort of paper and idea phase that's going to look at that particular cohort of individuals who seroconverted during our 20-week time frame with specific questioning, asking about changes in practice, you know, did... Did your colleague ask you to go in the room to see the COVID patient if you had seroconverted, that kind of thing? Um, so that'll be kind of next up for, for my smaller uh, study group. But the main, the main project covered uh, uh, paper we hope to, um, to have out soon, and that's currently in data analysis. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and your work, Dr. Schrading, and we'll wait to see what the results are of these next studies. Great to chat with you. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.